What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you go follow EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our baseball, fantasy baseball content gets posted on Twitter. You can find it all at SportsEthos.com as well. But if you're somebody who likes to spend the day surfing through Twitter, you get access to all of our stuff there at EthosFantasyBB without having to search around for too many different things. It's all there in your feed. And I should also mention, we are still continuing to bring on different people on the baseball side, really across all of our sports we're hiring. But specifically here, our focus is baseball. We're still interested in bringing on some writers and different analysts for next season. We're still looking for people specifically in fantasy, but also we're looking for team coverage, people to cover specific teams via podcast, via article, via Twitter coverage. Uh, We're looking to expand our baseball division in any way we can, really. So reach out to me. We'll see if we have a place that makes sense for both of us uh, for you within our ranks here. We'll talk some more over on Twitter. Hopefully, uh, if you're going to reach out in that regard, send it to my own uh, personal account at JoeOrico99. Easier to filter through the DMs over there as opposed to on TweetDeck. But anyway, we are going to continue looking at some relief pitchers today. It's going to be a bit of a shorter show than what we've done. It's probably going to run closer to 20 or so minutes here. It'll be, it'll be a little bit shorter, but we're still going to run through a couple of different players, a couple of different teams in particular, where, I mean, today we're not going to be as certain as we have been in these past couple of shows. These are going to be more guys who they are currently closing. They currently have closer roles but you're not going to be as confident as you would have been in the guys we've talked about for the last three days. And even yesterday, our confidence was starting to waver a little bit, partially because of draft price, partially because of performance. But here we're really getting into the range of these guys are not elite closers anymore. We're looking at some good names, some all right names, and some not great names and just happen to have the closer job for their team. So let's get into it. Let's start with Kyle Finnegan. He's the first name we are going to talk about today. Now, he is still currently projected as the closer for the Nationals. He will be their closer heading into the season, I think. There doesn't seem to be much doubt there. Uh, I don't know who else they would really turn to in that bullpen. Nobody else that would really make sense. I think it will likely be Finnegan. Uh, Tanner Rainey, I'm not sure when he will be back, but I don't think it'll be for... I don't think he'll be back at all this year. Uh, He had Tommy John surgery in... I'm going to say it was the middle of the season, August, about August. So I don't think he'll be back at all this season, um, maybe at the very end of the year. But I think it's it's safe to say that we're going to see Kyle Finnegan likely as the closer here, at least for the start of the season. And we'll see what happens going forward. Now, this past year, he gave you 11 saves, six victories, a 351 ERA, and a 1.14 whip. He was a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid pickup for you in fantasy this past season. Strikeout and walk numbers were pretty okay. Uh, nothing too crazy. Typically with closers, you see better strikeout numbers than this, but 26.1% on the strikeout rate, 8.2% on the walk rate. He's not somebody who's going to dazzle you, but he still throws fairly hard. He gets his fastball up 97, 98, uh, and he's throwing that most of the time. This fastball is what he throw, he's throwing. This past season, it was 78.8% of the time, and in years past, Granted, we're not talking massive sample sizes with him. 66 games this year, 68 last year is pretty much what we're going off of these last couple of years, but really predominantly likes to throw his fastball. He also mixes in a slider, which he threw less this season than he has thrown in the last couple of years, and he's also got a split-finger fastball that he throws 9% of the time. I love a splitter. I'm a Toronto fan. I'm a Kevin Gosman guy. 
I always love splitters, and I like uh, what I see out of uh, Kyle Finnegan in terms of a splitter there. Let me just pull up the values here. I was looking at them earlier. Eh, it's actually not – I was looking at the wrong thing. It's actually not quite as valuable as I thought it was. Never mind. Throw that piece away. I'm just a sucker for a splitter. It's really his fastball that gets the job done. That is his most valuable pitch here, uh, according to fan graphs. Now, heading into next year, I feel not – terrible about taking him we're talking about not an expensive pick here uh, he's going on average i pick 226 in draft champions that have taken place since the start of december now if i expand that to all the draft champions we've seen 253 is where he has been going so he is going up a little bit we'll see where his price does end up but i think anywhere outside of the top 200 picks you're, you're gonna be fairly okay with him and i say outside of the top 200 because mostly once you get inside of that range, I think there are probably some better options. And if he does sneak into that range, I think I would argue that you can wait on some different guys that we've talked about over these last few days, specifically in the first review show that we did with Greg Jewett. We talked about some later round targets. If he gets too expensive, then I would rather just speculate on those later round guys because I think he's good, but we also have to remember he's playing for a team that is absolutely atrocious. I'd forgotten exactly how bad the nationals were they lost 107 games this past season you're not going to see a hell of a lot of save opportunities for him he'll get him some uh you know he'll probably still get i know it's hard to say we've met we've used the daniel bard example every day this week of a guy who is on a terrible team who gets a lot of saves it's not going to happen to you very regularly we've seen these last couple of years with finnegan granted not the full-time closer the whole time but even when he's out there, he's not going to get you a ton of saves. Uh, he's not going to give you the best ratios. A 3.5 ERA is fine. A 1.14 whip is okay. But he's not somebody that you'd want to roster specifically because of those ratios. There's not a lot of per game upside, which is always, uh, you know, I'm I'm very, very much inclined to draft players who have that per game upside as opposed to somebody who is more of a volume-based player. It's your Jacob deGrom versus Sandy Alcantara argument. Obviously, that's an extreme extreme case that won't apply here to Kyle Finnegan but that's generally what we're talking about here in terms of per game versus you know the long the long outlook here Andres Munoz who we mentioned yesterday has that per game upside of even if he is not necessarily the closer he still could give you you know go out there and throw four innings a week and give you 10 strikeouts you know the, the chance for a save or a win here or there three four innings you know 10 to 12 strikeouts that is totally within the realm of possibility for somebody like him with Finnegan you're seeing okay strikeout numbers from a closer, 26%. It's nothing crazy. If he's going out there and not getting saves, there's not that much to fall back on. There won't be that many win opportunities. The saves, like we talked about already, are going to be kind of scarce. And there's no, there's not really any security blanket there with rostering him. You're, you're really hoping that he does get you those 20, 25 saves, what you'd be paying for on draft day, which is where you're headed with him. You're paying that price to somebody where you would expect to get 20, 25 saves out of him. And assuming this price keeps going up, who knows where it's going to end. He might be the most expensive national by the time it gets to draft day. Because we're seeing, look at Joey Manessis' price. Like, he's still the most expensive one. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that he is now a top 200 pick. 191. But he's the most expensive national. Followed by Kybert Ruiz at 198. And then Kyle Finnegan at pick 226. There's a chance that by the time we really get to draft season... People are panicking for their saves like we see every single year, and Kyle Finnegan becomes the priciest member of the Nationals to, to acquire on draft day. Sad state of affairs for that team, but I can't be that interested in in acquiring him, uh, assuming the price keeps going up and up, which maybe it doesn't, but let's just even say 
you know, he, he stays where he is, which I'd be relatively fine with. There's, you just have to, you have to realize there's not a lot of upside there, and he's not somebody where, you know, you, you have to have guys in front of him that you are very confident with if you're taking Kyle Finnegan. He's got to be a third closer at best. He can't be your second closer. He just, he is not nearly safe enough. You know, in the role, I think he's fairly safe, but the production is not really something I'd be willing to bank on over the course of an entire season as my second closer. There might be some builds we see. There will be, for sure, with the amount of different teams that get drafted. There will be a team, there will be somebody who fades closers early on, and he ends up taking Kyle Finnegan as his first or her first closer off the board. It's it's really not something I would recommend. Hopefully, he's your third closer, you know, and then you're kind of like, okay, I have my Hendricks and my Romano, or I have, you know, my Hader and my Classe, or whatever combination of a couple of elite guys, or maybe you mixed in, you know, a later round guy, mid-round, a Bednar, or a Paul Sewald, or whoever, and then you got Kyle Finnegan as kind of a insurance policy more so than somebody that you're going to be necessarily relying on for saves. And my worry is that the price will get to the point where you're going to need to rely on him for the saves in order for him to recoup that value, that draft capital that you've used on him uh, heading into the season. So not a huge Kyle Finnegan fan. I don't hate the price right now, but just be, you know, Greg Jewett really, really turned me on to this in terms of closers. Not that it's like some big secret, but it just really didn't click in my mind so much until I was talking with him in terms of this year. Anyway, how build dependent uh, closers are like how, the closers you pick are more dependent than any other position on how you've approached the draft up to that point already, I think, because it's such a specific position that you're drafting with really one category in mind more so than anything else. It was really, really tricky to put together a proper strategy for closers just because there are so many different weird ways that it works out in different draft rooms where you see a bunch of closers that all go flying off the board at the same time, and then you panic and you take one like I did in Arizona with Ryan Helsley. I told that story yesterday because I saw everybody flying off the board and you get nervous. You don't want to get left behind. You take a closer. There are, there are so many different ways to go about building a roster, but I think closer and relief pitchers in general are really the trickiest to nail down because of role. And like I said, because you're only really looking at that one category a lot of the time, don't get pigeonholed into looking at, okay, I'm just looking for saves with this guy. Look for that. Look for those other categories that give you, like I was saying, that per inning, that per game upside. With Kyle Finnegan, it's not there as much as we might be hoping that it would be considering the price. But let's move on. Let's talk about Gregory Soto. Now, Gregory Soto should go into the season as the Tigers' closer. That's what I'm expecting. That's what roster resources is expecting. There's nobody that I would really ex- expect, uh, sorry to overuse that word there, to take over the role from him, seeing as he's been the closer now for these past two seasons. I'm not sure if he started 2021 in the closer role. I think he actually came on uh, part of the way through the year and became the closer. But it looks like he's going to be there as unremarkable as he is. Now, he's somebody who's gotten more opportunities these last couple of years than we've seen with Finnegan. If I had to say, I mean, neither one of them is really great. Finnegan might be the better option, but I think you have to be more confident in Gregory Soto given the fact that he has gotten more opportunities. And year over year, you have to kind of look at that and say, okay, the team is not great. And the Tigers, you know, we're just talking about how, how shitty the Nationals were. The Tigers were 66 and 96. They were also terrible but we saw Gregory Soto get a lot more save opportunities. He's he's not good. Like let me just say like right off the bat, like he's not even though I, I would draft him ahead or very close to where I would take Finnegan. Like there are going to be 
pretty much right in the same spot for me. Soto's going to pick 172. It's a little bit high for me. I think they they should be a bit closer together. I think Soto's not good though. Like he is he is not a good pitcher, especially this last year. We saw the strikeout percentage go down. We saw that walk rate still be at a problematic number. 12.9. Like it came down to 12.9. It was at 14 and a half, 13.3 before that, but not good. And none of those numbers are good, especially when you pair that with the strikeout percentage going down over these last couple of seasons. Now, 2020, hard to really use that data so much. 23 innings, 27 games for him. But he had a 29% strikeout rate, went down to 27.5, down to 22.8. Where are we headed? Is it going to just keep getting worse? Are we going to see a slight bump back up for him? I don't really know, and I don't really want to pay any kind of steep price to find out. And you're kind of having to pay a steep price as of right now. In the 170 range, you know, I, I don't really love it considering, considering what he does, considering the team he plays for. You look at the pitching indicators, they're all quite a bit worse than what he actually has done for you these last two seasons. Specifically this year, the pitching indicators were pretty rough. 408 XERA, 450, or 358 FIP, 458 uh, XFIP. Really not good. Sierra was 421. He's not somebody you can have a lot of confidence in. You need to take care of closers a little bit earlier than this, I think. If you're getting to this range, like we talked about with Finnegan, it's, it's almost the same arguments. Uh, he's not somebody I'd want to rely on you know, any earlier than my third relief pitcher, my third closer off the board, because there's just, you know, even though he is secure in the role, he's just not very good. Even if he might get you, you know, 20, 25 saves, but it's going to come at the expense of a lot of other categories, low strikeouts, fairly poor ratios. You know, a 138 whip this year was not good. He's not somebody that I'd want to be relying on uh, for, for anything more than, you know, third or ideally probably like a fourth reliever. I mean, ADP is not going to allow you to take him as your fourth reliever, but that's probably where he should be going. We are all typically very eager to find saves, to find closers, and that's why guys like Soto get pushed up where they do in drafts so much. Uh, Somebody of his skill set shouldn't be really going around pick 170. It's just, it's, it's a little bit too high. But the fact that he had 30 saves last year will lead people to reach a little bit for him. In, in this range, you know, give me give me Andres Munoz, give me Paul Sewell. Munoz is going higher in more recent drafts, but over the course of all draft champions, we're seeing him go generally in this in this range. Like as of the last few drafts, he's going around pick 153. But as a whole, he's going around that same same kind of number. Give me the skills over the role, right? For the most part. You're taking the guy who has those skills, the strikeout ability, the swing and miss, over somebody who is, you know, not not a great pitcher overall. Like, there's nothing that he excels in, really, Gregory Soto. I'm just, I can't really get behind him at this price. You know, if he was going, you know, 250, 270 range, sure. I wouldn't really have a problem with him. But right where he's going here, like the more I think about it, I think I may end up having Kyle Finnegan ranked above him. It's hard to really, it's hard to really, I need to break this down a little bit more. And those rankings will be out, you know, I'm not sure when relief pitcher will be. But some point over the next several weeks, if not maybe the next month, all my rankings are going to be coming out. I I think I might put Finnegan a little bit above him, honestly. Like neither one of them is very secure, but at least Finnegan doesn't have the crazy control problems. 
they're both pitching for bad teams. You know, uh, it's a bit of a better ballpark there that Soto's pitching in. But you're, t- you're talking, you know, it's, it's bad versus bad. Bad versus ugly, I guess you could say. Neither one of them is going to inspire much confidence. But the fact that Soto's going so much higher in drafts, I guess I'm going to have to be going Team Finnegan here, specifically at price. Uh, neither one of them makes me very happy, though. We're going to talk about two more relievers here today. They're going to be both for the same team, though. We're going to just talk about the situation there in general. Now, we did mention this with Greg the other day, but I did want to talk about it in a little bit more depth because there were just so many different topics when we had him on. I want to focus in on this specifically. The Marlins closer situation. We have Dylan Floro and we have Tanner Scott. Those are the two guys who are going to be getting, likely, the majority of the chances to save here. We saw last year they kind of shared the duties uh, Floro was getting more, you know, the left-handed batter lineups. Or, sorry, Floro was getting more, you know, the righties when it was the ninth inning. There was a couple righties. He would come out. Uh, Tanner Scott being the lefty, he was getting those left-handed matchups more so. Now, over the course of the season, Floro had a 302 ERA, 10 saves. Uh, Scott had a 431 ERA and 20 saves. Now, Scott had absolutely brutal control. He was walking. It was... You're not even going to believe the number. Almost 16% of batters. He was striking out 31% as well. But when you're looking at the ERA, he was giving you the whip. It was bad. Like you were you were using him where you, where you needed to in fantasy for the saves. But it came with a lot of nonsense as well. Now, his indicators were all a little bit below, decently a little bit below uh, his actual ERA. 431 was the ERA. 417 was his XERA. He had a FIP of 367, an XFIP of 353, and a Sierra of 374. I like all of that. The control is really the main problem here with Tanner Scott. Now, I would still expect them to, uh, assuming they don't bring in one of the guys we talked about the other day, like a Roldis Chapman or somebody to close, I think there's a good chance uh, that we're still going to see Tanner Scott get those, you know, it comes to the ninth inning, we're facing a couple lefties, then Scott will get the opportunity there. I don't think there's not a lot of need to be that interested in him, but considering the price, you don't really need to be that interested in him. If you're looking at DCs that have taken place since December, 555 is his ADP. He's not somebody where, you know, I, I don't love the profile. I, I really don't. You know, in terms of Soto and Finnegan, those guys are, are better, I think. Although with Soto, it's close, I think, honestly. But at least Tanner Scott is 400 picks cheaper, you know? If I draft Tanner Scott and it doesn't work out, then, you know, I don't really care at that point. Even if he is somebody I have to hold on my roster the whole year in a DC, you're getting him so far down the board that it's like, okay, I'm using a pick, and I don't even know what round this would be, like in the mid-30s somewhere, round 35 or 36 or whatever it would be on him. I think 37 now that I do the math. I think it's around 37 where that would be. You're not you're not going to care. It doesn't really matter. Whereas with with Gregory Soto in round 12 or so, it might be the same level of production or very close to it. So this is not a draft Tanner Scott argument. This is a, if you get down to this point, it doesn't really hurt, especially if you have Floro and you can get those saves from both sides. Now, I wouldn't be shocked if they do end up bringing in somebody else, which would muddy the whole situation. But as of right now, we'll talk about the information 
that that we have, right? We can't project that they're going to do something they haven't done yet. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But as of right now, I think that it does make some sense to consider Tanner Scott as a late, late round uh, option in DCs because would it really surprise you that much if he had a better season than Gregory Soto? It wouldn't really surprise me. It's just something for you to keep in mind. Now, the Dylan Floro side of the argument, I like him. I like him fine. He's good. He He's better than Tanner Scott. I think that it's safe to say he is better than Tanner Scott. But there's also the fact that he's not going to get that many saves. And when we go to his ADP, and let me just see where he is going recently, 269 is where he is going recently. It's still a pretty good value, but you're also getting into that range where it's like, eh, if he keeps pushing up any more, then maybe he won't be a good value. Now, let me just take a look at his movement. 269 in recent drafts. If you go to all of them, then he is going 307. So he is moving up the board. If he keeps moving up the board, then you can count me you can count me firmly out because that's already where I'm kind of trending, especially at this price. He is he's currently in that last pick of a home league kind of range that I like to talk about. He's he's approaching that kind of territory. But I can't really see myself being that interested. Uh, if he keeps pushing up and we enter into like, you know, he's a top two fifty pick or he's somewhere in that kind of range, like that's just not where I'd really be interested in taking him. If he's staying generally in this kind of range, latter half of the top two hundred or of the of the top three hundred, I should say, if he's going between, you know, two fifty and the three hundred general range, then okay, then I'm I'm fine with it. But I think that we're gonna see him keep moving up a little bit just because people are so obsessed with saves. People just ignore all the other categories and you know, it doesn't really matter what happens I, not that he's somebody who's going to kill you in other categories he, he's not like he he's going to give you you know pretty solid ratios over these last couple of years average strikeouts average walks but people start to push players up simply because of the potential for that role yeah, a lot of times it's not great pitchers none of the guys we talked about today are great pitchers but you know given the price of all of them there's a chance you know i'm still working on rankings that I would just say, give me Tanner Scott, because he's just so cheap. I know he's not good, but he might give me 15, 20 saves with some decent strikeouts at the same time. So of all these guys, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, he's probably the one that that I'd want to be going for. Not somebody that I'd be pushing up draft boards, but that's kind of the point. The price point is cheap enough where I am interested in taking him. So guys, a bit of a shorter show today. I'm still, I've been sick in and out a little bit over these last couple of weeks. You might hear some pauses in my, in my talking today a little bit. It's honestly been going on for a little while and, you know, I had COVID a few times. I'm not sure if it's any just lingering effects from that. I think I had COVID three times. Uh, it's, you know, it's as careful as you can be. Sometimes you still can't be careful enough to avoid it. So I apologize for any kind of vocal, um, not great radio sounds, I guess is the best way I can put it right now. Uh, We're going to continue going through these relief pitchers. Uh, We're going to probably go at least two more days of them, and then maybe Friday we'll talk about my catcher ranks. I think that's probably what's going to happen because that piece should be up on the website by Friday. And if not by Friday, then by the weekend, and you'll get a little bit of a sneak peek here on Friday. But that'll be up at sportsethos.com. You guys should go check that out. Also go check out all of our work on Twitter at ethosfantasybb. At Joe Orico 99 is my personal account, and that is where you can find links to I mean, most of the stuff that goes out on Ethos Fantasy BB. I try and retweet 
can't get to just quite everything. So that's why you guys should go ahead and follow the Ethos account. Guys, leave a review on your way out the door. That helps the show grow. We really hope you guys can help us expand our audience here. It just takes a few seconds. We'd really appreciate it. And we will see you guys again tomorrow. Until then, take care, everybody, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.